Forgot to get my slide up. Let me pull this up real quick. Hopefully that is seen. Yes, excellent. All right. Well, let's just jump right in, folks. I haven't been in the pulpit in a couple of weeks because of COVID and because of a family uh, wedding, which all went great, and I'll fill you in. I filled the first service in on some of the family dynamics. But just let me just say this. Thank you for any prayers that you may have put out for our family and for me specifically. I did have an opportunity to share the gospel with one of my family members, and I'm praying that uh, God's fruit will, uh, will be uh, manifest in that life. Uh, in, in God's timing. We've been in a series called The Glory of God, uh, and we, as specifically as seen through us, MVBC. We are the church, and we have talked about this glory from three aspects. Well, two aspects. Well, actually, three working on four. One is that the church is something. The church is God's church. It's Christ's church. He's created it for something, He's, and anything God creates for a purpose is going to fulfill that purpose. And God has created the church, and so what the church is, what God intends it to be, what it actually is, we as Merrimack Valley Baptist Church are called to be that. As imperfect as we may be as individuals, as imperfect as we may be as a corporate entity because of the fact that we're human beings, all right, and that we still have to deal with sin and shortcomings and, and all these different things. What the church is, we are called to be. God has an expectation for us as a church. And we've been looking at this from the standpoint of God's glory is displayed through the congregation. Really, that was that whole idea, the, what the church is, we ought to be as a congregation. And as a congregation, we're made up of all kinds of people from all kinds of places. Uh, and we have, within our midst, we have a group that we call deacons, and we have another group that we call pastors, elders. Uh, Dan, a couple weeks ago, uh, as he focused on deacons, he says, God's glory is displayed through deacons. And if you have not heard that sermon. I'm asking you, go listen to it. I listened to it again yesterday as we were driving home from Maine, and, um, and uh, I'm telling you, it just blessed my soul. It's an excellent sermon on that particular topic, on that particular passage. So please, if because uh, I'm going to reference some things that were in that sermon that I'm not covering today, so make sure you go back and listen if you didn't, all right? Uh, we, he said a couple weeks ago that the de- office of the deacon shows the glory of his design. He shared three ways God's glory is three, seen through the deacons. And what I want to share is I'm, I'm tasked today to bring forth to you the idea that God can be glorified through the office of elders, pastors, overseers. That's elders slash pastors slash overseers slash, I'll say that 20 different times and all different, uh, we'll mix it up because it's one office with three manifestations, three words that describe it. Uh, But what's true of deacons, and this is where I'm saying, watch his sermon, listen to his sermon, because what's true of deacons is true of pastors, elders, overseers. Their office shows the glory of God's design. Their qualification, both for deacons and pastors, the qualification shows the glory of God's character. And as we understand God's character, it will help us to understand how far we fall short. And it is wonderful that we are created in God's image and we're able to to manifest these characteristics uh, that are mirroring his character. And uh, and we're so thankful for it. But certainly there's qualifications. It's all detailed uh, in the text, which we'll look at the text for the the elders in just a moment. And thirdly, he said, their service shows the glory of, of his own service. God serves. But he specifically brought out how Jesus served. In John 12, I believe, is the idea that uh, he came and, and, and the, during the Last Supper and he washed the feet of the disciples. 
And Jesus came to serve, and he challenges the disciples there, you do likewise. So we are all called to serve, and therefore our service as individuals, our service as deacons, but certainly the service of your pastoral staff, we are all called to serve in our own way as God has called, as God has gifted, as he's equipped, as, and as he's provided opportunity. This is what we're supposed to be involved in, all right? So specifically today, we're going to say God's glory is displayed through pastors, elders, overseers. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, the, on differentiating those words today. Uh, you know, for those of you that participated in the Grace and Truth discussion a few weeks ago, that we asked you to provide all kinds of questions. I have not engaged in those questions yet on purpose. Because this is kind of the foundational sermon that's setting the groundwork for when we actually do respond to those questions. I wanted to come to you fresh. I wanted to come to you as we did with the congregation, as we did with the deacons, and say, how is God going to be glorified through our elders, our pastors, uh, also called overseers, right? So the fact is God's glory is displayed, uh, and we're going to look at that. Uh, But I wanted to just say, after today, next week we have IBM Global Sunday, and then the following week we'll start engaging in those questions, and and just so you know where we're we're going. But today specifically, I want to focus on this idea. God is glorified when pastors, elders, overseers, right, live up to his expectations. God is glorified when pastors live up to his expectations. We're going to be focusing more on that word pastor today than probably any other. Uh, But let's just look and see. There are six expectations God has established for those that fill the position of pastors and elders in this church. You have six of them. I'm one of them. All right, so there's six expectations. Let's jump right in. First expectation, they are expected to lead. Now, that may may not be shocking, uh, or it may shock you, uh, depending on what your church background is. But look at this text. 1 Timothy 5, 17 says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So this word rule that we we highlighted here, this, this idea of rule can be misunderstood. We live in a society, in a world, at least in American society, where authority and leadership and ruling and and that kind of terminology, it's like, no, 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 you're not the boss of me mentality. I can do what I want. I'm free. And, And by all means, there's a certain element of truth in our society where we can exercise those freedoms based upon our Constitution elsewhere. But don't be turned off by this word. This is not a bad word. This word basically means to guide to direct or to lead. He's saying, listen, uh, Paul is telling Timothy, let the elders, there's the the, the word that's being used there, let those elders who rule, there's this, this group of people who are guiding, directing, or leading, let those who are doing it well be worthy of double honor. That is something the congregation does for those in leadership. Uh, I'm going to engage at the end of the sermon on some negative aspects of this, and, and so I'll, uh, I say it at the end because every time I talk about it, I get emotional, and I didn't want you to have to deal with all my emotions through the whole sermon, just at the end, okay? So look at the smile now because it'll go away by the end, all right? But listen, if you have a pastor that's up here, and he's demanding the double honor, because it says there, let the elders who rule well counted worthy of double honor. If someone's seeking the honor, if someone's demanding the honor, they are not the elder who are ruling worth in a worthy fashion. There's something in it for them, and they are, they are self-oriented, self-centered. So get rid of that 
pastor, elder, overseer, all right, because you as a congregation have the ability to do that, all right? So I'm just saying, he's, he's highlighting here, Paul to Timothy, listen, set up these elders wherever you go and let the elders who rule uh, and, and be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So we'll get into some of this in, in a little bit, all right? He also says in 1 Timothy 3, we're going to look at this uh, 1 through 7 in more detail in a little bit under one of the other uh, expectations. But he says, if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the, of the church of God? So as we talk about this idea that one of God's expectations for a pastor, elder, overseer is that they are able to lead. He expects us to lead. Notice the, the metaphor he says. He says, listen, let those who rule his own house. It's not so much a metaphor, but he's saying, listen, what's true in the household prepares someone to be a pastor, shepherd, a pastor, elder, overseer. It doesn't say what happens in the corporate boardroom establishes someone to be qualified to be a, a, the leader of a church. It doesn't say someone who is a type A personality is the one that could be, the, really, they could, they could lead a church. He says, no, it says the man who does not know how to rule his own house. That rule is that same rule, to direct, to guide. And as we compare other areas of Scripture and just say how God intends fathers uh, to, to minister to their children and care for their children, how husbands are expected to treat their wives, we know that this rule, this idea of rule, is not one of domineering. It's not one of control. It's one of love. It's one of, of appreciating one's the importance of one's position of which God has put them in. God put husbands as the head of households. And he's saying, listen, if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how to guide and, and, and lead and direct, they are not qualified to be a pastor, elder, overseer in a church. It's right there in the text. So I'm personally thankful for all the men that I know that are good leaders of their home. And I'm very thankful for the pastoral staff that we have right now because I think, I think we got this one going pretty good. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. But I look at the men and how they lead their wives and how they uh, minister to their children and care for their children if they have them, and I, it, it thrills my soul. There was a man that was in ministry with me years ago. He's the administrator of our school in, uh, in North Carolina. And I said, Greg... I said, if I had been given the opportunity to hire you, I didn't. He was already there when I became the pastor. I said, but if I had been given the opportunity and, and they put your resume in front of me or they said, or you can just look at the way he treats his wife and children. I said, I would have taken your testimony of how you lead your wife and children because you have been an excellent administrator of the school and you are an excellent husband and father. And that is good enough for me to know that I, I don't really care what your resume says at that point. And uh, he did a, an amazing job. Folks, the way we live out our household responsibilities is important. Specifically men, if you have a desire, as Jamie's going to challenge us next week with this idea that maybe God's calling and working in your heart to call you into uh, a mission field of some sort, then get your home in order. That will prepare you for vocational ministry as, as we see here in Timothy. Second expectation I think God has of all pastors and elders is they are expected to shepherd. Now, this particular word shepherd is actually the least 
common word in the New Testament to talk about the position of which I fill and the other pastors fill. It's only used one time in the noun form. Most of the time it's the word elders or overseers. And we'll see that as we look at some more scripture. But this idea of shepherding is the idea of what we saw Jesus confronting Peter with on the, on the shore after the amazing catch of fish. Jesus speaks to Peter and he says, what does he say? He says in John 21, 15, he says, do you love me? What, a, what an amazing question for Jesus to ask. Peter, do you love me? And Peter, knowing his failure of denying Christ three times. You know these words came out. And he says, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Or in other words, feed my little ones, Peter. I am commissioning you to take a role within the church. It's a leadership role. It's a pastoral role. It's a shepherding role. And it's one where I'm saying, provide spiritual food for my lambs, my little ones. He goes on, the text goes on, and Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? And we know how it goes, and Peter once again says, Lord, you know I love you. He says, tend my sheep. This is the word shepherd. He's saying, it's the, excuse me, that word tend is the idea of shepherd. Uh, take care of my sheep. What do shepherds do? Well, Jesus is the great shepherd. David was a, an amazing example of a, of a shepherd. He protected this shepherd with sling and, and stone. He killed the lion. He killed the bear. He, he was commended as, as, as the, uh, the shepherd of Israel. You have Jesus as, as known as the great shepherd. And, and J Jesus is telling Peter, listen, shepherd, care for, protect. Do all those things that are characteristic of a shepherd. One who knows his sheep. And there's so much more we could go into today, and we just don't have time. How Jesus is that model shepherd that every under-shepherd is supposed to be uh, following and, and uh, modeling their life and ministry out of. We're going to talk more about shepherd as we get to the end of this, but I want to encourage you today. What an amazing picture for us to understand the role of the pastor slash elder of your church. Maybe you're a guest with us today, and you're going to be going back to your church next week. Whatever I say is true here from the Word of God, it's supposed to be true of your pastor, elder, overseer. And when we do our ministry correctly, when we do it according to God's expectations, then He is glorified. And certainly He expects us to shepherd as Jesus would shepherd. He says a third time, do you love me? And Peter is just cut to the quick. He's, it's, just, it's just killing him. I'm the guy that denied Jesus three times. And here he's, he's making me pay for it, isn't it? No, he's not. He's, he's forgiving Peter. He's restoring Peter. And he says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. He says, feed my fully grown sheep. Notice the difference between it's feed lambs, the little ones, feed sheep, feed my big ones. I thought Ken did an excellent job last week. Who would have thought that you could have an outline of sheep are stubborn, smelly, and stupid when he's talking to a room full of sheep. Right? How did you get away with that? Oh, you were the guest speaker. That's what it was. That's what it was. But it's true, isn't it? I don't, the smelly one really had me concerned. I thought there might be a mutiny, you know? But, uh, you know, I, well, but remember, pastors are part of the congregation. Deacons are part of the congregation. 
we are fellow sheep. Please understand what Jesus is telling Peter. He says, do you love me, Peter? He says, feed my sheep. Who is our shepherd? Who is in control? Who is in charge? Jesus is. Peter's just an under-shepherd. Your staff, pastor, we're just under-shepherds. We are all his sheep. And he went to Peter and he said, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Has it gotten through to you, Peter, that what I'm about to do in your life and ministry is change you? No longer are you this person who is so self-centered, who is so worried about what's going to happen to your flesh and what's going to happen. He says, listen, commit your life to caring for my sheep. And did not Peter do that? He did not do it perfectly. And we'll talk about that maybe in future sermons here. He, he, he stumbled as your pastors will stumble. Pastors or elders are expected to teach. This is what we're probably most comfortable with, we're most familiar with. This is teaching, even though we call it preaching. All right? It's under the same, but it's the idea of taking the Word of God, bring it before God's people, exposing them to the text, telling them, basically drawing out from the text what's going on, what is God saying, so that your life will be changed. And in the process, the pastor and elder's life should already be in the process of changing as they have already uh, engaged in it. We see in 1 Timothy 2, this, uh, this is that for this passage which is detailing the characteristics or the qualifications of being a pastor elder. And it says a bishop, there's that word. Uh, I'm Bishop Odeorn. No, I'm not going to use that word. That's the word for overseer. Right? The overseer that must be blameless. That's why we're talking about pastor, elder, overseer. Must be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. This is the one outstanding difference between the qualifications of pastors and the qualifications of deacons. Deacons do not have this qualification attached to their office. They, they are to serve. And praise God they serve so well. But it's the idea we as pastors are called to have the ability to teach, to communicate God's Word. I do it primarily to adults. Every once in a while I get to minister to teenagers or little ones. But we have pastors on staff who are able to teach little ones and teens. And they do it so well. And so it, it, as you're looking at your role as pastor, elder, we're supposed to be able to teach we won't all have the same abilities. We won't all have the same styles. But we ought to be able to somehow unveil the Word of God in such a way that you walk away understanding. And once again, you're given the opportunity to change to God's glory. He says in 2 Timothy, Be diligent. Notice any Awana workers, right? Don't have any flashbacks here, right? I'm, I'm surprising you with this. Be diligent to present your, uh, yourself approved to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is the Awana theme verse. It's the, right, it's the idea of, of who does not need to be ashamed. Uh, so as we talk about this, be diligent, be active, present yourself, what? Approved to God. This is, as much as we apply this to Awana and little kids, this is a pastor-elder text. This is telling us our God's expectation of pastor-elders. Be diligent. Present yourself approved to God, Timothy. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, what? 
rightly dividing the word of truth. Teach, Timothy. Teach. Fourth expectation. We, as pastor elders, we're expected to pray. We're not going to spend a long time on this one. Maybe it's representative of how much time pastors and elders spend in prayer. I'm just saying. This is the one area that we would all probably say, we would probably all say, yeah, I need, I need more. I need to do this better. I know that's true in my life. I pray throughout the day. I told the first service, my most earnest prayers are usually when someone says, Pastor, can we talk? I'm like, right? Yeah, like, oh, let me handle it right. Give me wisdom, whatever, to your glory. But no, there are also things that take my mind and heart to the Lord on a regular basis throughout the day. And it's one of those things I'm going to share at the end of this message. Something that's just been just overtaking my heart and mind for the past couple weeks. You're probably aware of it, but if not, just I'll make you aware of it. We are expected to pray. And and when you consider the passage that Dan dealt with two weeks ago, this Acts 6 passage where it says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you uh, seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. If you remember that, again, go listen to the sermon. But notice this, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. I've already covered the Word ministry. That's the idea that God expects pastors elders to teach. But He also expects us to pray. I am so thankful to be part of a pastoral staff that prays for its people multiple times a week together. We come together. You want to be prayed for? Get us a message. Put it on the prayer list. Call the office. Whatever it means, just by all means, your pastors pray for you. We can only pray specifically when you share what's going on in your life. We don't have the bulletins where you used to write on it and submit it, and and that was always helpful. It really was, but we don't have the bulletins right now. That's a COVID thing, but don't let that stop you. Let's go ahead and, and just feed us the information. There's all kinds of ways you can let us know. But we are called to be in continual prayer for, for those that we are ministering to. That's what um, is being talked about here, right? It's a priority. We need deacons so that, so that in that context, the apostles could be giving ourselves to prayer and the Word But we would understand that's the role of the pastor today is to be focused on prayer and the Word. So praise the Lord for deacons. Praise the Lord for the privilege it is to come to Him in prayer. Fifth expectation. Elders and pastors are expected to equip. I hope you understand that when you come into this building, whether it be Sunday morning, uh, Wednesday night, throughout the week, whenever you're engaged in the teaching ministries of of this church, We are seeking to equip you, to give you what is necessary to glorify God with your life. Because you are called to be uh, saints of the Lord, to be servants of the Lord. Look, Look as we look at this. Ephesians 4, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now that that, that construction is actually one article before pastors and teachers. So my title here right now is pastor-teacher. And so that's probably based off this. There's one article modifying both pastors and teachers. It's not pastors and another group of people. It's pastors or teachers. It's the same person. 
And Paul, and, 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 uh, Paul was writing to the Ephesians, he listen, um, God did this marvelous thing by giving us apostles and prophets, of which we do not have in the same sense today. Certainly not apostles. Prophets people would, would have some discussions about, but we know that there are definitely evangelists in the, in the church today, but they're not an office of the evangelist. Many people have referred to Pastor Larry as a, as a 21st century, well, probably 20th and 21st century evangelist, right? He's, he's someone that is just given to, to be able to explain the gospel in a way that people understand it and that they come to faith. Praise the Lord for evangelists, but that's not, those aren't the people. They're a gift from the Lord, but those aren't the ones that are guiding the church, leading the church, shepherding the church, teaching the church. It says here in some pastor teachers, for the equipping of the saints. Let's put that word congregation in there. Because as we look local church, we're saying that we, as pastor elders, are supposed to be equipping the congregation for the work of the ministry. If you have somehow always considered that pastors are the ones that do all the ministry, be, rejoice today because you get to learn something new. No, we equip you for the ministry. How are you involved in your local church ministry? I, we, we implore you as we, as we continue to, to encourage you to serve and, and to be loving like Jesus and doing, uh, uh, serving to God's glory, find ways, pray, ask God, God, how would you have me serve in this church? How would you have me minister in this church body or in my community? Because we see it's for the edifying of the body of Christ, but it says, till we all come to the unity of faith. I'm going to go ahead and read through this quickly, but I want you to understand, this is pointing towards our belief that we are here to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Making it can be relatively fast, brief, but the maturing process with which every believer in this room is involved in, including myself, we are, we are maturing in our faith. He's saying, he goes back, he says, listen, we're supposed to, ha- God gave us these people for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry to edify the church, the body of Christ, till we all come to unity of the faith and to, a, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer, what? No longer be children, let's be mature. Tossed to and fro, about, uh, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Let's not be children that, by, that have been tricked by trickery, by, uh, it says by the trickery of men. Let's, let's be mature, let's understand there's people out there seeking to deceive and teach false doctrine. No, no, mature in your faith in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, this is what we're supposed to be doing, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Christ is the head of the church, and he seeks us to be mature believers. And so that's what we're all about to be. This sixth expectation, as we look at it here, uh, we are expected, pastors and elders are expected to be examples. Now, examples of what? Well, a lot of really tough stuff, to be honest with you. It's like, I, I wish, I encourage you, go back to your job description wherever you work or maybe you have worked in the past and see if these qualifications are in your job description because I'm telling you right now, these are tough. Look at this. This is that passage of Scripture, 1 Timothy 3, that talk about all the qualifications to be in the position of pastor elder. But notice what we said here. We're saying pastors and elders are, we're expected to be examples there's not one thing on this list that somehow doesn't apply to you and the way and you find yourself in your position, all right? I mean, 
let's go through them and see if I'm wrong with saying that. Maybe I've stated it too, too uh, black and white. But he's saying, this is a faithful saying. If any man desires a position of a bishop, that's that word, overseer, he desires a good work. So it's a good thing to desire to be uh, in the position, right? I, have a, I think I have the desire to serve God in, the, in this capacity. Well, you have to get trained. You have to get equipped yourself. You have to be brought forward. But honestly, whoever God puts in the position of elder uh, in, in any church, it's God's doing. Is what You, you want to make sure it's God's doing. It's not someone who, who is doing it for their own selfish means. It's the idea they feel God calling them to the task. It's a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of an overseer, he desires a good work. An overseer then must be what? Blameless. I think we all ought to be blameless. It's the, that idea of being above reproach. The husband of one wife, I mean, we'll spin it just for the sake of our, our ladies. I don't think you should have two husbands, right? I think you should, I think you should just be, you know, husband, uh, a wife of one husband. You don't have the ability, based upon this text, we do not believe women are allowed to hold the position of pastor, overseer, elder. All right, this text and others. And we'll tell, I'm sure that question came up, and, and we'll engage in that. But the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, all those, really, we're supposed to be examples of those because really, we all ought to be evidencing these things in our life. Able to teach. Now, that is specific to pastors. It has to be there. But many of you are able of teaching. And I will say, because we're created in the image of God, I think we're capable of teaching different things. Maybe not the Word of God in the role of pastor elder, but we are capable of teaching others uh, in some aspect. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy of money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetousness. One who rules his, there's that word again, all right? One who rules his house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how would he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. We're familiar with these qualifications. You went through these qualifications when you were on your pastoral search. I was vetted by these qualifications. I called Larry uh, probably about a year and a half ago. I said, Larry, by the way, when you brought each of the pastoral staff on board, did, when you did that, were they vetted by this? And he was like, absolutely, this and Titus, the Titus passage, we're talking about it. We have all been vetted by this. We are all accountable to these qualifications. We, you should expect us to fulfill these expectations of God. So God is glorified when pastor, elders, overseers live up to his expectations. They're right there in the text. So let's just segue. I know we're, we're going to go a little over. All right, bear with me. God is glorified when pastor and elders live up to his expectations. But here's an abiding question. I don't know if it's on your mind, but it was on mine. All right, what about the expectations of the sheep? Right? Do you not have expectations of your pastors, shepherds? Uh, pastors, elders, overseers? Do you not have expectations of us? Well, sure you do. Are they in line with the six that we just listed? I'm not saying my list was exhaustive. Maybe there will be other ones as I engage in the questions. Ah, I really should have put this down as an expectation of God. But you rightfully should have expectations of us, but they ought to be anchored in God's expectations. 
Uh, think about this. What about your expectations? I think you ought to make sure, you should make sure that your expectations are biblical. They fall in one of those six categories or something else biblical. But I'm asking you to consider that your expectations, please be balanced in your expectations of your pastoral staff or whatever pastor uh, of your church, wherever you might be coming from. Be balanced. They're human. They have the ability. They have the expectations. God, I just looked at six of them. Could you imagine them doing all six at one moment? What about a pastor who's, who's neck deep in grieving with a family over the death of a child? Are you expecting them to come meet your need of, 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 of maybe it's of a, you know, a, a little less important nature, right? Let's be balanced. You don't know at any given moment what any one of us are involved in. And so my encouragement to you, there's, when I say balance, is the idea just be understanding, be biblical, be balanced in your understanding. And, and thirdly, please, Allow your expectations to be centered on the glory of God first. That's, what, that's the foundation of all we do. And what's going to build up the body. Certainly you have legitimate needs and we need to know those needs. And you need to, as, as uh, Dan encouraged you, let your needs be known. Talk to your deacons. Reach out to them. Let them know that you have these needs. That we want to care for you. We want to shepherd you. But we also know you have different expectations. And some of those expectations, uh, if they're not met, they're going to frustrate you. And uh, so be biblical, be balanced, and be centered on the things that we all ought to be centered on. All right, here's another question. What about the sinful actions of the shepherd? Now with this one, this is the abiding thing in my life. What about sinful actions of the shepherd? Have you been paying attention to the news lately? May say for the last 40, 50 years. How about the last four or five months? How about the last four or five weeks? We know that we've had a pastor who uh, fell morally. He fell into sin in a church right there in Nashua. We prayed for that man. We prayed for that church. It has come out that there is a, a pastor in Indiana who has, uh, came before his church just last week, the week before, and he admitted to committing adultery, and he said he committed it. It was 20 years ago. It was only with one person, and he was stepping down from his ministry. What about the sinful actions of the shepherd? As I have been thinking about this particular aspect of my job, my ministry, the ministry of the other guys on staff here as pastors, I am crushed. And I'll be honest with you, I, I, I spilled forth so much emotion in the first service, and I was afraid this might happen. Is like, I'm kind of emotionally spent. Um, God may bring those emotions out in a minute, but I'm just telling you, I wish they were here so you could see what one shepherd believes, and oh, it's coming. I, 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 I pray, Lord, I said, let the emotions come if it will give you glory because I'm an emotional person. But I have a lot of things that I want to say, and it's not going to communicate to you if I do it as if I'm in a library or I'm at a business meeting. I'm telling you right now, what about the sinful action of the shepherd? What about that man who knowingly, willingly, 20-plus years ago, violated a 16-year-old girl in his office 
proceeded to do that for like nine years. And he stands before the church. And I, I think it's a good thing that he stood before the church and admitted his sin. I think it's a good thing that he did that. I'm not sure of all the reasons why he did it then, but I do know this. The person that he sinned against was in the room with her husband. And they stepped up to the microphone at that particular time. She gave more details. And she called that man out. Do you remember the time when I was 16? Do you remember the next nine years? Do you have an understanding what it's done to me and my family? Do you understand how probably... uh, how difficult it was for her to stand in front of this hundreds of people and tell them what you did to me. And folks, I think, I think the aspect of this that's really destroying me is that's just one story. And we have another story in Nashua. But just a couple weeks ago, the Southern Baptist Convention had a, a third-party Uh, report that was put out. They did an investigation. And over 400 clergy had been involved in the Southern Baptist Convention with covering up sexual sin in their churches. And I stand before you today and I ask you, why in the world would you ever trust me? Why would you ever trust anybody that says, I'm a pastor, I'm an elder, I'm an overseer, when we are, we are, we as in the type of people, the people that feel called to this position, and we say, we're shepherds, we're here to care for you, when there are wolves in shepherds' clothing, violating the sheep, sinning against the sheep. Why in the world can I come before you today and say, Let me be your pastor. Trust me. The reason I can do that is because God has expectations of pastors, shepherds, elders, overseers. God has expectations. And he calls people to the position. Not everybody should be a pastor. And there are pastors who do wrong, and you do not have a single perfect pastor on this staff. But I stand before you today telling you I am not guilty. I am not guilty of violating sheep at any point in my ministry. I will say this. I have sinned against sheep. Dear, sweet, widowed lady that I did not know was standing behind me. And I said some unkind words, and she heard every one of them. And I grieve it to this day. There's nothing I can do. My sin was for the the guy I was talking to, and for that lady, and for God to witness. And I I was frustrated because I didn't know what to do, and I just let my frustration out. And she had left, but she had come back, and she heard every word. I looked at her. I'll never forget her face. And she walked out that door, never to be heard from again. And I cannot heal, I cannot heal that. Only God can heal that. So I've harmed sheep. It's, it's, we're not perfect. But uh, folks, I'm telling you right now, what about the sinful actions of the shepherd? Let me close by giving you some words of encouragement. One, when a shepherd sins, hold him accountable. 
Hold them accountable. And I think even more so, just as, just as important, those that have been sinned against, speak up. Do not believe anyone who says, for the health and protection of the church, just be quiet. That's called cover-up. And that 400 pastors and all the SBC for the Southern Baptist Convention report that talked about all this cover-up, it makes me want to go in the bathroom and throw up. Because we have been given a special job by God. As Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs. Don't violate them. He didn't say that, but I think it's inherent in the text. Care for them. Feed them the word of God. Tender them. Tend to them. Shepherd them. Protect them. Protect them from the wolves. Don't become one. And feed my sheep. And I'm feeding you as best I know how today. Speak up. If you have ever, ever been sinned against, really, by anybody, to the extreme level that we're talking about with these, these, these other people that we mentioned, but certainly, but I'm telling you, come talk to me, but if that's too much, if that's too much, because maybe I represent the very person who violated you, then talk to someone that you can talk to. And let us come to, by your side and let us be what we have been called to be, which are shepherds of God to tend for the sheep and to care for you and to lead you to Christ and to lead you to healing and to do away and to call out the lies that are out there. I have a dear friend who was violated. And I hear these stories and I think she was shushed. For years and years, she was shushed. And she carried this weight into her marriage, into her parenting. And God opened the door for her to speak it out to someone she trusted. It wasn't me. God opened the door to speak it out to someone she trusted. May I say this? Ladies, you're not alone. Men, I have had the privilege of being that person to hear the words, Greg, I've never told this to anyone else before. And then he told me how he had been violated, how he had been sinned against, how he, and, 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 and he is a brother in Christ. And he trusted me. Why? Because I was his pastor. And I have fulfilled the qualifications as the other men on the staff have fulfilled the qualifications. And God gave me an opportunity to minister to that individual. And he and I today, there's nothing between us. Because he shared his deepest, darkest secrets with me. And I loved him in return. That is not to exalt me. Please get this right. Jesus has given pastors, shepherds, overseers an opportunity to glorify God by ministering in a way with our physical hands, our physical feet, our voices to minister to the she his sheep. Let us do that for God's glory. Let us do that to build you up. 
but don't ever let us harm you and not say something about it. If we're going to do this, this is the last thing, if we're going to do these things, if we're going to hold someone accountable, or if we're going to, uh, if, uh, specifically, if we're going to hold a, a pastor, elder, shepherd uh, accountable, or if we're going to speak up, let's do it biblically. There's ways to get this done, all right? And we're not going to spend time with that today, but there are ways to get it done right to the glory of God, not just spout it off in the middle of a meeting and split a church, all right? But I'll tell you, no cover-ups here. If you've ever been violated in any sense, in any way, come talk. Let's deal with it openly to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these folks and their willingness to spend some extra time today. As we consider the wickedness of the world that sometimes finds its way into the church. But Father, the emphasis today was how you're glorified by men whom you have called, equipped, and equipped to, to, to serve you in this capacity. Father, may you do your work in the lives of every single pastor on this staff or the pastors of people that are represented elsewhere. May you do your work in them first and then through them into others for your glory because we know that is the way you have called the church to function. May you be glorified by the heart response of your people as they deal with this idea of pastor shepherds, but also, Father, as, you, as we've been challenged with the singing already and as we, as we come to the end of our time together to understand that the, the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, is the one who calls his sheep and his sheep know his name. If there's anyone here this morning that has not come to faith in what Jesus Christ did for them, in his death, burial, resurrection, ascension. Lord, if, if there's anyone here that does not know that Jesus died for their sins so that they could be forgiven and that he rose again to demonstrate his power over sin and death, Lord, I pray that you call people to yourself and save people so that they can become a sheep that can mature in their faith and ultimately glorify you with every aspect of their life as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.